Welcome back to the Dotted Line Podcast. I'm excited to have my mommy with here with me today. Um, we're really going to be talking about mother-daughter relationships and how you can have those trials and tribulations and how you can make it to the other side. So um, I'm really excited about this topic and, and I'm definitely ready for feedback. Mommy, go ahead and introduce yourself and start off with you know your upbringing and where you came from. Hi, my name is Cynthia Brockington, and first of all, I'd like to thank Lacey for inviting me to the podcast. I think it's a neat thing to do. Um, I'd like to give a little background about myself. Um, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, uh, a mother, a father, two brothers, and a sister, and um, we went to school and everything, you know, went to elementary and all of this and that. And it's kind of a sad story because uh, when I was nine years old, uh, my mother committed suicide. Mm. And she also uh, shot and killed my little brother as well. He was five at the time. So at that time, our life was kind of, it was very, um, it was very sad. It was around uh, right before Christmas and everything. So it was pretty sad, but uh, we managed to go on. Uh, we ended up living with our grandmother for a couple of years, and then my dad had a house built for us. So uh, he had the house built and everything, and we moved in. And when we moved in, his uh, older sister, she came over and helped take care of us. And she took care of us for about two years or so, and then my dad remarried. And he remarried, and from that marriage, uh, I had another sister uh, a younger sister. She's 15 years younger than I am. And so uh, we grew up there in that house and everything. And uh, we went to high school and everything and got out. Uh, I started going to school at Texas Tech. And of course, you know, going to school, I just thought it was a bunch of partying and stuff. And that's basically <laughs> what I did. So, uh, of course, the grades weren't great. So my dad, he gave me an ultimatum. He told me, okay, Cynthia, you can either go to school or you can go to work. He said, because we're not going to keep paying this money for you, wasting money like this. Mm -hmm. So I chose to go to work. Mm -hmm. So um, I worked, uh, uh, I started out working uh, at the uh, city of Lubbock garage. That's what they called it. And I worked in the office there and everything. And and then from there, I uh, ended up working for the Lubbock uh, Police Department, mm -hmm. and I worked the front desk there. And so, you know, that's how my life was and everything. And I uh, ended up getting married uh, at 23. And then uh, two and a half years later, I got divorced. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, after I got divorced, I ended up meeting Lacey's dad. And uh, I worked uh, for this company called Rip Griffin. It was a trucking uh, company where they sold trucks and everything, the big trucks. And he worked as a diesel mechanic. I worked in the office as an accounts payable. And that's how I met him. He was very charming, very nice. I mean, just real, just a real sweetheart, you know. Um, and so we kind of, you know, hooked up and everything and, uh, you know, got together and everything. And then I ended up moving uh, from Lubbock 
and I ended up moving with him to uh, Odessa, Texas. That's where he's from. And we ended up uh, moving to Midland, Midland, Texas. And uh, we had an apartment there and everything. And I worked uh, for the Hilton Inn. And so we moved there. And then it's like we were moving a lot. And so um, we ended up uh, moving from there. And then I remember I, of course, became pregnant. And uh, at the time, I didn't know it, but I was. I was pregnant. So uh, we ended up moving to Fort Worth. And uh, we lived there in, in a home there. You know, very, you know, very nice house and everything. I always live nice, you know, nice places. Mm-hmm. And then we end up moving to another house uh, in Stop Six. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we moved to Stop Six. And then uh, from there, uh, was at Stop Six at the time, I was really pregnant, really big. Uh, so after that, uh, I had Lacey and everything. And uh, we ended up moving uh, to uh, Everman. And at this point, we were having a lot of problems and everything uh, as far as finances and just uh, him being very abusive and everything to me. And so we ended up, uh, we ended up moving, you know, moving, uh, we stayed in Everman. And so on one evening, we, I ended up sending my daughter, you know, sending her to Odessa with his parents mm-hmm. because it was really getting rough, you know. And so um, I sent her down there. And one evening uh, he came home and he was upset for whatever reason he was upset. Mm-hmm. So at that point he came into the house and uh, he pulled a gun and a knife on me. Mm-hmm. And because I had been abused, you know, several times before, it just got to the point where I just said, Lord, if it's meant for me to die, just let me die. Cause I'm tired of living like this. Right. Wow. So, he put the gun to my head and the knife to my throat, you know, and cursed and told me that he would, you know, slit my MF throat, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I, I ran across the street and I thought if he's going to shoot him, I, I didn't have on any shoes or anything. I ran across the street to the neighbor and mm-hmm. she was a fireman. Mm-hmm. And I ran across the street to her and told her what had happened. And she told me to come in. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And when I came in, uh, he came across the street and uh, he told her to tell me she has so many, uh, she has 30 minutes to get everything out the house she wants. And then wow. I, and I back. so I was really scared. So I immediately called his mother and I told him what was going on. And I told her, I said, I'm going to leave. I said, because either I'm going to hurt him or he's going to hurt me. So I, yeah. I don't stay there. And she said, okay, baby, you do whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the lady across the street, what she did for me, she stood outside and watched while I went in the house and got different items out, you know, to, to mm-hmm. go to work. Thing. So I left and I went and spent uh, the night at a friend's house in Arlington. Mm-hmm. I called her and she let me come over there. So I spent the night with her. And so uh, basically, you know, I left from over there. Right. So I was, I was very scared. I'd go to work every day. And about around lunchtime, I would call his job to make sure he was he was at work and he'd pick up the phone. And when he picked it up, I would hang it up and I'd mm. run home and get a little stuff out every day. Mm-hmm. And then the last day when I got paid, I hired a moving van to come move everything out. 
and I called him to make sure he was still at work and he was. So they came over, they moved, helped me move everything out. And mm -hmm. I moved over to my friend's house in her, in her garage. She let me keep everything there. So mm -hmm. basically I started staying with her and, uh, at the time, he didn't know where I was. I'm sure he came home. He was just mad because he didn't know where I was and everything was gone. Right. So because of that, he ended up coming up on my job on November the 17th, 1988. He came up on my job and uh, it scared me because he came into my uh, work workplace mm -hmm. and I was sitting there working. I, I worked in the mail room. So I was just sitting there working, you know, sorting out my mail and I looked up and there he was. And mm. so it scared me. And so the first thought I, that came to my mind, I said, okay, I've got to get him out of here because I can't let him make me lose my job. I can't lose right. my job. So we walked out in the stairwell and we talked for about 30 minutes. And the whole time we were talking, he was, he like had his hand off in the, the front of his pants, you know, like he had something in there. Mm -hmm. And so we talked, you know, we talked about Lacey and I told him that I was going to go, you know, I said, I'm, I'm going to, here, I have some clothes for her. Can you send these to your mom, you know, for her? Right. And he, he told me that you don't have to worry about it because you don't have to never worry about seeing Lacey again. And wow. I, I looked and I thought, what, what are you talking about? He said, don't worry about it. You never have to worry about seeing her again. And so I told him, I said, well, I said, I need to get back in here and go to work. So I opened up the door to go back in the work. And when I did, he shot me with a nine millimeter in my left chest. Mm -mm. So immediately I looked, I mean, first of all, I was very shocked because I just couldn't believe that was happening. Right. And so I looked at him and I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm finna get you. But I, I couldn't go anywhere. It was burning so bad. And, and the only thing I thought of was, okay, Cynthia, you got to fall down. That's the way they do it in the movie. <laughs> right. right. So I fell down because, I, I mean, it was burning really bad. So when I did that, he uh, cocked the gun to shoot it again and it wouldn't shoot. It had jammed. Mm -hmm. So after jam, he just turned around and walked out the building got in his car and drove off. I mean, he didn't run or anything. It was like, it was like at that point, he didn't care. So yeah. at that point, everybody at my job, they heard the fire and everything and they came running out, you know, and they were afraid. They were scared too. Cause you know, because he had just walked out the door and he had that gun. So they didn't know what he was going to do. So right. they called the police, you know, and they brought the ambulance and everything and everybody came, you know? And so I ended up going to the hospital and, um, and I stayed there for about, um, two and a half weeks and at the time he had just went on he drove to Odessa because that's where he's from and his sister had bought the gun for him and mm. then she had the best lawyer criminal lawyer in Odessa that she hired for him wow so, like they already had it you know figured out what they were yeah had a plan mm -hmm. and so um I was in the hospital fighting really hard for my life and everything and so my stepmom uh she called his mom and she said well you know, we don't know if Cynthia's going to make it or not. Could you please, we'll pay for it. Can you just put Lacey on the plane? And maybe if she see her daughter, it'll give her the will to live. And his mother replied, I wouldn't ship a dog on a plane. Mm -hmm. So uh, they wouldn't do it. And so uh, when I finally was able to get out of the hospital, uh, of course, you know, his, his mom still had her. And so I got out and um, I went to a, a judge, you know, uh, legal aid, you know, at the time. And I got there and, and I told them what was going on. And so it took them a while, but they had, they ended up giving me a halius corpus. And I remember so well, it was right before Christmas. And I remember telling my stepmom, I said, if, if I don't get Lacey back, then I don't have a reason to live. I mean, I, I yeah. just don't. Yeah. And so at that time it was like, God heard me. 
and uh, the courts called me and they said, you know, we have your paperwork ready. You can go, you know, go to Odessa to get your daughter. So I was very scared because of the fact that, you know, I had to go by myself and I still had staples in my back from the gunshot and everything. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I uh, got a plane ticket and I, I got on that plane by myself. I was scared to death. Yeah. And there and I got to Odessa and got to the sheriff's department because that's where he was being held. And I got there and I, and I told him I was there and everything. And then his mother and his sister and uh, his nephew came in with Lacey. And so the sheriff was standing there and they gave, you know, they gave me Lacey. And uh, his mother said, if you ever need anything, just let us know. Wow. And, and at this point, I was too scared and I didn't trust him. Right. So uh, at the time, I had on a diamond stud earring and uh, LC wanted it back. So... Okay. I, uh, uh, I, they went down, they let me go down there where he was. He was in the jail cell and I gave him his, his, his earring back. Wow. And then I just, you know, left and I, and I got lazy and I asked the sheriff, I can't say, can you walk me out to the car? Cause I'm afraid they may try to do something to me. So he did, he walked me to the car and I got there and got back to the airport and I had a two hour layover and I was scared to death the whole time I was there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, bought the change of clothes for Lacey. I took her in the bathroom and washed her down and everything and put her, her clothes on her and everything. And we sat there in that airport until it was time for me to, you know, aboard again. Mm -hmm. And I did. I got back to, to Dallas just fine. And uh, my friend, she got me from the airport and brought me back to our house. And then uh, my stepmom and sister, they came over there to see Lacey and everything. They mm -hmm. were so excited to see her and everything. It was like a little Fan reunion, it was just a blessing to get her back. Right. And so from there, I just, you know, I uh, did the best I could as a single parent, you know, trying to raise her and everything. I, uh, I raised her, you know, as a single parent until she was nine years old. Right. And um, I ended up, I couldn't uh, go back to that job anymore because it was just too traumatic for me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I ended up going to school at TWU. Yeah. And getting a bachelor's degree in business. Yes. And it took me nine years to get that degree, but I thank God, you know, uh, and I had a lot of help. I had the people there uh, where I worked at in the financial aid office. They were very helpful. I mean, uh, they, they were very helpful. They helped me a lot. Um, when I first started there, I, I, I uh, was working part time and going to school full time. Mm -hmm. And then it got to where I told him, I said, look, I can't do this. I said, I'm gonna have to have a full-time job because I said, I can't pay my, my rent. And the next day I got to work and they had given me the rent money I needed to pay my rent for that month. Wow. And they were just really, really sweet. They were really good to me and I would never forget them, you know, and I still keep mm -hmm. in touch with them today. Mm -hmm. But uh, after that, uh, like I said, I got my, you know, education and everything. I, I ended up getting married. And mm -hmm. I was still in school at the time when I got married. Mm -hmm. And I got married in a blended family, of course, with uh, my husband has uh, three children, two boys and a girl. And, um, you know, we uh, live here in Denton. We, we lived on one side of Denton and now we're on another side. Mm -hmm. Moving on up. And so <laughs> that's, that's where I reside at now here in Denton, Texas. Yeah. So one thing that I feel like I want to kind of get with the timeline. So you had, you know, 
raised me, single parent, everything like that. You got married in 97, but the year prior, your dad passed of yes. cancer. Mm-hmm. So at this point, your dad passed, your mom had passed at, you know, nine, right? You had your stepmom and everything like that, but mm-hmm. you were still in school, got married, and you didn't have either one of your parents, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's kind of like everything's becoming full circle. You're finishing school, you're buying a house, like, you know, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, you know, with the American dream, and you don't have your parents there, right? So I kind of want to go into, I feel like when, you know, you got married, I was nine, but I really felt like when I got into the preteen years, that's when stuff really got real, right? Mm-hmm. Right. For me. Because I know that like I was, even though you were trying to do the best that you could as far as be a single parent, I didn't realize all of the sacrifices and everything that you went through at that time. And I'm kind of trying to figure out who I am, right? And feeling away because yes, I have a step parent, but all my friends have their dad, right? Their real dad. And I'm kind of like, this isn't fair. You know what I mean? And so I do remember like when I was about 13, I think I started, that's when I started writing my biological dad, right? Because he was still in prison. So kind of a caveat to that, after all this happened, he did go to jail, but he only got served or um, got convicted of 10 years for you for attempted murder. But then he had that, you know, 10 years that he had because he had a, a different domestic violence incident that he was dragging a woman behind a truck. And so he broke his probation and ended up getting a total of 20 years, right? So I'm at 13. I feel like this is just egregious because I don't have my dad and I'm trying to figure out who I am, right? And I feel like that's when all the issues started with me and you because it was like, I'm trying to find myself. I don't feel like this is fair. This is my mom's fault. And I feel like, you know, that really transpired a lot of actions from you know, me at what, like 16, taking my stepdad's car, right? Going on a joy ride through Denton, you know, um, and just being very disobedient and being very disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? And I couldn't really articulate how I was feeling. So, you know, we could get counseling or we could have conversations. It was just more of like, I'm lashing out. You know what I'm saying? And so when I got to my senior year of high school, um, I remember I turned 18 in September and Christmas came and, you know, you get your little gifts and everything like that. And, and me and my friend were like, yeah, we're fixing to go to the mall the next day, return all this stuff that our parents got us because they don't know how to get us gifts, right? We're going to go get the stuff we want. And I was so excited because it was a few days before New Year's. So I'm 18. I'm ready to go. Like one of my friends, um, Naomi, you know, rest in peace. She had like a little New Year's Eve party and like we planning everything. We ready to go. So we go, um, me and my friend at the time, we go and exchange all our stuff. I'm like, mom, hey, I'll be home at this time. You know, I'll be home at 10. And you called me maybe like at nine or eight something like, Lacey, where you at? Hey, you know, we're getting something to eat and I'll be home. And you were like, I hope you have fun because you ain't going nowhere for New Year's. And I was like, you know what? You show right. That's what you think. But what I'm fixing to do, I got a plan, right? This is December 26th. So I got a plan. So I'm like, I worked at, I worked at a grocery store, sack and save where I actually met my husband. And I'm like, y'all, like, I got to get out, right? Like my mom is tripping. I'm grown. She not let me live my life and I got to figure it out. And literally within those four days, one of my coworkers, her roommate was moving out of one of those college um, apartments where they had like all bills 
paid and had everything there. So I'm like, bet. Okay, cool. I got, I got it. We just got to figure out how I'm going to move out. So December 30th comes and I literally know you're going to get home at like five, five 30. So me and my, me and my friend are like, okay, we got to get everything out, right? Mm-hmm. Everything out. So when she comes home, ain't nothing. I got to get my clothes. I got to get everything. Cause like, I know when she come home, like she may think I'm gonna come back and I may like try to give me a reason to come back. And it's like, I already got everything. So I'm out. Right. And I remember when, um, you had got home and we you stay in your two-story house and literally from the room, you could literally see everything out. And mm-hmm. I kind of rolled by to kind of see, okay, is she home? Like what's going on? And I saw you in the room with the lights on and you're mm-hmm. literally just looking around. Like I could just tell Mm-hmm. It was like looking around, like what's going on, right? Like my child's moved out. She's still got another semester of senior year, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to see my child graduate. What is she doing? So how do you feel like at that point in our relationship by me moving out, how do you feel like that impacted you? That was a very traumatic time for me because I didn't know where you were. I knew you had left. Mm-hmm. But it was just, you know, it, it was sad because I say she she needs to finish school and she just up and leave like this. I don't know where right. she's at going through. And it, it was very hurtful, you know, because we always have dreams and aspirations for our kids. And to see that you, you know, got up and left like that, I, I was like, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was just I was in I was in awe. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot believe this girl did this. I can't believe right. she did left like right. this you know? mm-hmm. um, it, it, I, I had fear because I didn't know where you were you know what, what you were doing and, and my, my biggest thing is that I just wanted to make sure you were okay that right. you were safe you know that you you know if even if you moved out if you you know were where you were safe and and I didn't have to worry about you but mm-hmm. you know as a parent you never stop worrying about your kids right you know even yeah. when they're even when they're doing great you still it's just still it's a certain kind of worry then mm-hmm. but always you know no matter how grown they get no matter how old they get you always worry about them you always wonder you know are they okay is everything all right you know you never stop right. worrying about children right so it was it was hurtful yeah so fast forward to I, I graduated right mm-hmm. and um I will say because I always say graduated at that time I, I did finish my class requirements, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in Texas, they have standardized testing, which is the tax. Mm-hmm. And I did not pass the tax. So they let me walk. Right. Mm-hmm. So looking at it now, they let me walk. And I had this false perception that I graduate, I finished school. I get to, you know, throw my cap up with my friends and take my pictures and I'm done. But mm-hmm. I literally got out and where they're supposed to give you your diploma, they gave me a paper that's like, come back and take your tax. <laughs> I didn't have my diploma. Yeah. So after that, I felt like I kind of was on in work mode, right? Because at the time I was working still a sack and save in Gadzooks, which is now um, Forever 21. And so I was like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to work. I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to, you know, find myself, do my own thing. And at that time, I kind of felt like in that time, I was like becoming promiscuous, right? Like I felt like that was a way to find myself. Like as men, you know, you're like, oh, they're sowing the wild oats. But you know, women, it's not really cute to be saying that. But I was, you know, trying to find myself and everything like that. And I remember probably my early 20s, maybe like 22, 23, my uh, biological dad had got out of prison. 
And I was working at a collection agency and I did skip tracing, which is basically like looking up by, you know, names and things like that. And they give you like familiar addresses and things like that. And I called a number that was under his mother's name. I called, I was like, hey, this is Lacey. Um, I wanted to know, you know, if, if my dad was there. And it was his mother that answered the phone, my, my you know, paternal grandmother. And mm-hmm. she was just so, at this point, I'm pretty sure she was like 70, 80 years old. She was pretty old. And she's just so excited. Oh my gosh, let me get your number. He's not here, but I'm going to get your number. I'm telling him to call, you know, tell him to call you back. So he calls me back and he's like, oh my gosh, you know who this is? And mind you, I never heard his voice before. Mm-hmm. Don't know this man. I have a, like literally two pictures of him. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, like, you know, I'm still you know, trying to figure out or whatever. And we organized a meeting. He came up to, you know, the Dallas area. We met and something didn't sit with me right. Like I met him and I felt like it was supposed to be like in the movies, like you meet him and it's like, a, you know, you reunite. And now I just feel like I'm complete, right? Like I know the other half of my DNA, but I really didn't like his personality. To me, he really didn't have any remorse for shooting you, what he did. So I'm still hurting from the fact that he's not there. So at that point, it's kind of like, I'm using him to be like, hey, I need this, this, and this. Can you send me money for this, this, and this? Mm -hmm. And then that kind of gets old and it's kind of like, well, you know what? I really don't want to do with you at all. So Mm -hmm. we go years, you know, I actually reconnected with Dietrich. Me and Dietrich ended up getting married. And at that point, um, me getting married, I moved to the, you know, Houston Galveston area. So I'm five hours away from you, right? Mm -hmm. And so- how do you feel like at that point, like with me moving, how do you feel like that impacted our relationship? Cause I felt like that was kind of a time that we were kind of getting together. Like we were not arguing necessarily so much, but it's still like, as it kind of started being a breakthrough, I feel like it was like, now I moved away, you mm-hmm. know? So h- how do you feel like that impacted our, our relationship? Mm-hmm. I-, I think it probably made it better because mm-hmm. I think when we were, around each other all the time. I mean, I knew there was a, there was a time in your life that you actually hated me. And mm, so it was yeah. kind of hard. You know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want you to move away, but I think that was probably the best thing for you yeah. because you, know, you, you, you seem so happy now and you, 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 you know, you flourish so well. And so I, I didn't want, you know, all, all I ever wanted was for you to be happy. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I miss seeing you and stuff. I miss like, what I miss the most is like, just like on Saturdays to be able to like, okay, let's go get our nails done or yeah. let's, go, let's go do this, you know, or, right. or let's come over and do my hair, you know, stuff like that. I miss mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have things. So, but um, I'm, I'm thankful for um, that. At least I get to, to see you on the phone. I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, yeah. That yeah. see your face and everything and, and see the kid's face. And that that's a blessing, you know, because it, I, you know, I remember there was a time you couldn't even do that. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard now, you know, uh, not having seen you for so long or the kids, Yeah. but I know it's because of the pandemic and we have to be mm-hmm. careful, you know, so I'm just grateful to at least get to see your face every now and then, you know. Right. Right. So what do you feel like was the breaking point where you started to see a change in our relationship for the better? The day that you called me, that mm-hmm. you, you had called, we hadn't talked in like, probably over a year. Right. And and and, and I, I never will forget it. I was sitting in here. This is my office now, but it used to be my formal living room. But I was, <laughs> and, uh, and I got a call from you and you said, can you talk? And I was just shocked. I mean, my heart just dropped. 
because I thought, oh, Lord, what's, what's, what's happening? Mm-hmm. So went on to say, you know, that, uh, you know, your, your, your best friend had, had died, you know, mm-hmm. uh, passed. And uh, I think you had another friend that passed. Yeah, and, a cancer. Mm-hmm. And that you didn't want to go on, you know, keep going on like this if something happened, you know, and you never knew. And then somebody just call you one day and say, okay, uh, unless your mom's dead, you know. Mm-hmm. So then that was the breaking point right there, I think. Because mm-hmm. at, at that time, it let me realize that you really did care enough to call me, you know. Mm-hmm. Do that, you know. It could have went on, mm-hmm. for you, never mm-hmm. said nothing. But you, but but you had, you, you know, you felt the need to call me and tell me that. So that was the breaking point. Yeah, and I do remember that because, like you said, we had had a falling out, like in 2015, mm-hmm. and I mean it was a big falling out. You know, me being disrespectful and you know cussing you out and, and just it was it was horrible, right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk for a year, so like you didn't see me, I didn't see you, you didn't see the kids, so you know, Chase, my son was like, I think like six months, you know, the last time you had seen him by that time, he's, you know, almost two. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very hard. It was um, actually, you know, like I said, five, five years ago now in a couple of weeks where my high school best friend had passed away in a car accident and it was totally unexpected. She's in her late twenties. She has kids. And then a couple of days later, one of my high school friends passed away of cancer. She was young as well in her late twenties. And then, like you said, your aunt had passed away. And it literally was like, you know, when they say death comes in threes, it was like a week of just death. And I was like, you know, I'm still not necessarily ready to, to develop this relationship with my mom. But at the same time, the way that these people are dying, that could have been my mom. And if I don't have a relationship with her, the next time I'm going to see her is in the casket. And that just wasn't a good feeling to me. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So I feel like that was a breaking point for our relationship. And I feel like it did make it better. And for us to really appreciate each other. And Mm -hmm. I feel like from there, we were kind of able to heal. We went to a counseling, you know, visit and able to talk through our issues. And I feel like that, that really for me was the breaking point. Cause it was kind of like, we had never went to counseling before. Um, you know, so I felt like it definitely opened up doors for communication to where I feel like, you know, now it's like we the best of friends. Like I can, you know, call you five times a day. So how do you feel like looking back, your childhood impacted your parenting? Mm, uh, I think I, I think the, the thing that impacted most for me is that um, I'm not very affectionate. Mm, and I yeah. think because my, my dad wasn't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even really remember if my mother was or not. Right. Right. Uh, but my dad wasn't, he wasn't affectionate at all. And mm-hmm. so, and really the whole side of his family, they were kind of like that, you know, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. really affectionate, anything like that. So mm-hmm. I grew up like that. And so I think that impacted in the way that, you know, that you were raised because mm-hmm. I'm sure there were times you felt like that I didn't love you because, you know, like yeah. I, you come up and try to hook me. I say, oh, go on, Lacey, go on. You right. know, and, and it was right. nothing. And I never realized how much that, that bothered you, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that was just the way I was raised. And I, I meant nothing by it, but right. that was just, I was raised, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think as far as that aspect, that that's why, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do agree with that because I know when I was, when me and Dietrich were dating and even just previous relationships, like people would try to get in my personal space and do like PDA, like in public mm-hmm. and be like affection. I'm like, why are you in my space? Like 
this is inappropriate. <laughs> like you too much of my space. And I look back on it and I do feel like it, I felt like that because we didn't, we weren't very affectionate towards each other. And yeah. so now me having my own kids, they're mm-hmm. super affectionate. Like every five minutes they're up here, mommy, I love you. Can you give me a hug? Can you give me a kiss? And mm-hmm. so it's changed my, you know, perspective about, um, you know, being affectionate and I love it. Like i come to them and give them kisses and hugs and stuff like that. So I think it did impact me, but I really feel like my kids kind of brought me out of that because Mm -hmm. they're so affectionate and they're so loving. So it's just kind of infectious and contagious, Mm -hmm. you know, to be that way towards people. Mm -hmm. So anything that you've learned from your past and potentially implemented into your parenting that you, that you, you know, may have had from, you know, childhood, just adulthood or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the only thing to say that, that I implemented into my parenting, I always tried to make sure that you had everything you needed. You and want it. <laughs> I was very spoiled. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's what I implemented because I, you know, I just always felt, you know, I always wanted you to have more than what I had. And I always, yeah. wanted you to, and I, and I never wanted you to have to go to somebody else and say, well, I don't, I don't have this. Can you do this for me? You know? Yeah. And so that's why, you know, like a lot of times when you would go away, you know, go off, you know, on your little trips or whatever, I would make sure that you had money because mm-hmm. I, somebody, you know, saying, well, she don't have no money. She can't, you know, yeah. I want that to be an issue that you couldn't yeah. do or go somewhere because of that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think from my past, what I implemented because, um, you know, my biological father ended up passing, uh, 20, I believe 2015, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he had cancer and, um, you know, finally having that kind of closed chapter where I, at least I got to meet him and I knew who he was and that kind of answered the questions of who's the other half of my DNA. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've implemented kind of y'all's relationship and, you know, what happened as far as him not being a present parent into my parenting, because now it's like, I want to make sure that my kids have both of their parents. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because you never know how when their parents, and, and and not to say that it's your fault, obviously, why y'all broke up, because it's not. Obviously, domestic violence took place and things like that. But um, it made me look at, like, how I'm being a parent, just being more cognizant of, like, how I'm being a parent and how that impacts my kids. So I want my kids to be able to have both of their parents. I definitely spoil my kids. I want them to have, like you said, more than what you had. I mean, they have TVs, um, tablets, you know, Candy just got like a little phone <laughs> that she got for Christmas. Like, it's just always trying to make sure, like you said, like that she has stuff. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's what I've implemented from me growing up is just trying to make sure that I'm doing right by my kids is, is to the best of my ability. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so through everything that we've been through, just the ups and downs and the arguments and not talking for, you know, long periods of times, what do you feel like is the most rewarding thing about our relationship? I think the most rewarding thing is that you actually listen to me. Yeah. Because now you, you know, you, we talk and you say some things, you know, oh, I'm getting like Cynthia Brock, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you actually listen to me. There, there were times where I thought you weren't listening, but you were yeah. actually listening. So, yeah. and, and, and just to see that you've grown up into this beautiful young woman and, you know, you're a mom, you're, you're a wife, you know, you work, you know, you, you have all these different hats and you mm-hmm. do them so well, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it, that, that makes me so proud, you know, to mm-hmm. know that you're, that you're okay. Yeah. You know, that you're doing, you're, you're doing just fine. Thank mm-hmm. you. I feel like 
kind of a full circle moment for me was when I graduated from undergrad in 2018 mm -hmm. and you came down here for my graduation and, you know, we have a picture of me and you mm -hmm. and then, you know, my daughter Kennedy, right? And it was a full circle moment. I felt like that was like the most rewarding part is because I remember going to your graduation and being at yours. And I was like, man, I did it. Like I finished school, even though you say yours took nine, mine took seven, <laughs> but it was just a rewarding moment just to be there for you to see me graduate and see like, you know, man, like you finished, like you got your degree and, um, you know, for you to be there and just like that full circle moment where I was there for you at your graduation and you were there for me. And now at that point I had my daughter there for me, you know? So I felt like that was a full circle moment for us. And it kind of just solidified just the bond that we have in going in a positive direction. But I also feel like the most rewarding part of our relationship is that we're friends. I have that respect for you as my mom. So I'm not going to cuss in front of you. Right. <laughs> but it's like, we can talk and, and mom, I have this going on. What do you think about this? You know, um, this is going on. What's, you know, we, we talk about things that obviously we couldn't talk about things uh, 15 years ago. Right. Because we couldn't relate. So now right. it's like we can relate to a lot more things mm -hmm. than just the surface level. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I felt like it really we really built a strong foundation, you know, in our relationship and stuff like that. So I'm definitely mom appreciative of all, you know, your your love and hard work that you put into me and fought with me for. Right. Because I know that it has been hard that we're at this place right mm -hmm. now where it's, it's, it's positive and, you know, we're learning and, and, and keep growing and things like that. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you for doing this episode on my podcast. Cause I do appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, more than, you know, and, um, you know, y'all definitely take a, take a listen, you know, at our next episode and thank you for listening to the dotted line. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You all appreciate it. When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. Though back at the time, I never thought I'd see a face. Ain't a woman alive that could take my mama's place. Suspended from school, I'm scared to go home. I was a fool with the big boys breaking all the rules. Shed tears with my baby sister. Over the years, we was bored and other little kids. And even though we had different daddies The same drama when things went wrong We blamed mama I reminisce on the stress I caused It was hell Hugging on my mama from a jail cell Dear mama